In Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, 28th day of March. Great as always to see you. Thank you for coming along. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive format. Yeah, we're like a TED Talk with interaction. And if all goes well, your curiosity is sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve that problem, make a connection, reach the opportunity faster. Networking has never been more important for your business. Folks, help me welcome guest expert, Marisa Miklas. Marisa is a broadly experienced business leader with a proven track record delivering numerous successful programs centered on change. Her affiliations span companies large and small, notably Baker Hughes and Microsoft. These days, as CEO of Energy Innova, she helps leaders lead and successfully deliver change to produce measurable business improvement that they're accountable for. She holds degrees in geology, mathematics from Tufts University, and she is CCMP certified change expert. Hello, Marisa. Well, hello, John. I have to say, Thank you had me at uh, 75% corporate change pursuits don't succeed. Wow. That seems pretty shocking <laughs> and really kind of unacceptable. But, you know, the more I reflected on it, my experience is slowly pulling me back into, well, I can see how this is actually possible. So we're grateful that you could stop in, share your approach, some of your latest insights uh, with the FTE Network today and, you know, how this is relevant to our business. So thank you for coming. Thank you very much for that kind of introduction. And really excited to be invited to be on the FTE show. It's uh, such a great format and a great group. I am uh, very pleased to see the folks that are joining from everywhere. And I really actually, um, in the spirit of the networking that the FTE show is, is really um, built upon, I thought maybe this might be a good time to do a little icebreaker to get us acquainted a, a, a smidge. There's a, a couple of polling questions that we have, and I'm going to ask John to help me out on this. Uh, so if you would, I'm going to ask um, first, a little bit, the first question is about your experiences with change in recent history, if you will. Um, and then the second question is about your perspectives as a result of that. <laughs> and so if you would take just a moment to, uh, don't be too hard, just give me, uh, give us all a sense for where you're at. That'll help us get to know each other a little better. Marisa, just real quickly, there's a little bit of back feedback on your uh, uh, your sound. Can you make just a tiny adjustment? We're getting a little bit of feedback. Let's see. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Just kind of snuck in there. We're still uh, doing the survey here. We're getting closer. We got about 75% of that. Is it, is it, did that make any difference or not? Yes, sounds better. Thank no you. No difference? Yes, it's good. Oh, brilliant. Very Thank good. You. So let me show you, this is what, uh, this is where we are. Wow. There we go. 33% are leading and delivering the change. 
Some are in the change, about at 7%, and uh, about more than half are in both. They totally believe it's uh, people have That's to- That's really helpful to see. Yeah. Yeah, it flows down to us and we flow it down, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. Great, this is really helpful. I just pulled it down. I've got it saved for well, you. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you all for that. I, I appreciate it. Um, I took the liberty of doing a, a brief look at folks who said they might be joining today. And the observation I got is that you are all working on some incredibly heavyweight challenges. Um, you're working on uh, energy transition, major social transitions, market inflections, digital transformation. The list is long and they're not small challenges. I uh, appreciate your joining. The, um, with a, if you'll indulge me, I would offer that at the very high level, there's some consistency to what you all are doing. And in that regard, I'll say that you are, your goal is to produce some solution and have it get used. That is some solution to your challenge, whether it's a, a new technology, uh, some new process, an organization change, or anything that you may be up to. And the, the key is not only getting that done, but getting it used and getting it used at scale. And by that, I mean, with sufficient use that it reaches a certain tipping point where you get momentum in adoption and you even get sustained adoption, that durable adoption. That's, that's at the core of the goals that you're working on, on your challenge. And, and so it's very significant. And I will offer that in fact, that durable adoption is also at the root of the risk that you have because the odds of your accomplishing that are not good. Uh, as you saw from all the, uh, the abstract and as John remarked, those odds can be shifted. And that's really what I wanna speak about today. That's where I have put my focus in my career. I don't hail from the HR arena. I hail from the business side. And this is uh, uh, um, something that I feel is very significant to delivering value in our businesses. So I work with different clients in this arena. I um, have certain, and in doing that, there are some consistent questions that come up. What I thought I would do is I would bring out three that come up pretty regularly. Um, there are clearly a lot more, but I'm just gonna quickly, as quickly as I can, touch on those three and then open things up to discussion. Um, maybe these will give you some ideas and I'd love to get some feedback and other thoughts on how you do things. So the three things I wanna talk about are uh, that come up a lot are, um, getting everybody on the same page about what change management is. That is getting our change program all rowing in the same direction. Uh, the second thing is demystifying resistance to change. 
And the third thing is about um, measuring what matters. And that is, yes, data and metrics around our change program. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in. Take it just a second. Hmm? Make that adjustment one more time. Oh, thank you. Oh, I see. Thank you, Rapesh. Um, if it happens again, I'm going to completely change uh, headset. So please don't hesitate to tell me. Does this make any difference? Good. Better? Okay. But please don't hesitate. Obviously, I don't want to... Um, <laughs> subject you to this. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about what change management is anyway. Uh, the reason I bring this up is that it's not very common for uh, one of these undertakings to begin with an assumption that everybody knows what change management is. And what that says is that, well, I know about management and I've been through change. So I'm sure change management is, is managing change like a project management. And I, I want you to know that there is actually a lot of rigor and discipline in this arena. There's actually a definition for change management. And I'm going to rattle it off for you just so that you know what it is. It comes from the International Association of Change Management Professionals, and they're widely adopted standard for change management. Let's see if I can rattle it off correctly. So uh, change management. Oh, it's back. Okay, I'm going to change my audio just one moment. Got it. Okay, for those of you not from the U.S., that's a game show. <laughs> so... It's supposed to be funny and distracting. Let's and see, is that making any difference? It can, it needs to, your volume needs to be raised if you can. Is that making any difference? Yes, it is. A moment. Dun, 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 dun. Is that any difference? Done, perfect. Is it? Yep. Okay, if that doesn't work, I'll find some other speakers, just a second. <laughs> okay, so um, the thing about uh, this uh, change, management, change management definition is as follows. It is the practice of applying structured approaches to transition an organization from a current state to a future state to achieve a business objective. So that's very formal sounding. I'm going to say it again. So it's a structured approach. So it's not magic to uh, transition an organization. That's people uh, from a current state to a future state. That's our new normal to achieve business benefits. And that's our goal. All right. Now, what change management is not is it's not project management. It's very closely aligned with project management. And by that, I would say project management delivers a solution to an organization. That's that effort. And change management delivers the organization in time for the solution. So these things work, these groups, these leaders work very closely hand in hand. This is important to distinguish 
because this way our change team can all be rowing in the same direction and expectations are set about what we're actually working on. So I want to get that out there uh, and it really does make a big difference later on in a change program because later on I've been on projects where people say, well, we did this, this and this. And the answer is, well, that's actually not enough to do actual change management. So we wanna get that out there at the beginning. That's why I'm bringing this up. The second uh, topic I wanna to speak about is change resistance. And uh, this is always on everyone's mind. And I want to use some graphics to help me unpack this a little bit. And hopefully uh, my technology will serve me on this one. Let me see if I can do this correctly. All right. So I'm actually not sure. I don't know how much. I think you're seeing just my slide. Uh, and we so are I'm seeing gonna... just your slide. That's correct. Okay, perfect. Well, um, the fundamental question is, why are people so obstreperous? I mean, honestly, <laughs> why does everybody give us such a hard time when we're trying to introduce these, these really significant improvements that will help everybody? Um, well, uh, and the answer to that is um, it's actually not a choice. And I'm going to unpack this and explain what's going on in our brains when a change is imposed on us, okay? So first of all, it's an exhausting, painful, frightening loss. It's exhausting because all of the hard wiring that our basal ganglia has put in place in our brains to conserve energy has to be unwired. That takes energy. And then it has to be rewired for the new normal, again, energy consumption. It's exhausting. It's painful. It's painful because when you imposed this change on me, you didn't ask me about it. I wasn't involved in shaping it. And so I feel actually very isolated. And in that circumstance, the part of our brain that processes isolation is the arterial cingulate. And that is where all of our pain is processed. And that's how isolation is processed as pain. Okay. And then it's frightening. It's frightening because we're in pain and we don't know where it came from or why. And this is the perfect trigger for our amygdala, our reptilian brain to jump in with our fight, flight, freeze uh, reactions, okay? And finally, it's a loss. And a key thing about this loss is that our brains don't process loss and gain in the same place or in the same way. And so any effort to talk about a silver lining or the glass half full doesn't really hit the mark the way we wish that it would, okay? Mm. And so, the, the point that I want to take away from this is that resistance is a real risk. And it's 
at the same time, this behavior that we're experiencing as resistance is, is something that has been part of human evolution for eons. And so this is not touchy-feely stuff. This is not mysterious. It's actually very objective and it's very scientific. It's just not many of our sciences. It's not, it's neuroscience, okay? Well, this gives us reason to, to reframe how we show up with resistance. For example, in light of what I just said, this is a very predictable situation. It's resistance is something we can anticipate, we can assess it, and we can put in place activities to manage it. It's not one size fits all, I want to say, but it is absolutely something that can be handled. I also consider it favorable, twisted though I might be. Uh, when I start to get reactions from people that are grumpy about my change, I know I'm getting through. All right. Now, the key thing is to keep their their resistance and, and unhappiness uh, focused on something besides the messenger. But the key thing is their brain is is working. OK. And then the third thing is that, in fact, resistance can be highly desirable in the case of safety uh, and environmental and health. We need people to call stop work when they see that there are issues at hand. And so that's the, the nature of resistance. And I invite you to reflect on this and the potential for handling it in new and different ways. So the, the, um, the way that we address resistance and major risks on our change projects, there are many tools we have in our toolbox. There are, um, let's see, there's communication and there's training. There's our, our change team and change agents, the role of our leaders. There are um, methods and models for execution and there are data and metrics we can apply. Well, I'm not gonna unpack all those, you'll be relieved to hear. I am going to, to get into one in particular that really, um, and not surprisingly, people uh, avoid, and I, uh, I feel like it's, it's really worth uh, spending a minute on it. You know, um, metrics serve our change project while it's coming to life, but it also serves it as we establish its persistence. And so by monitoring uh, adoption behaviors and change challenges after implementation and deployment, these things that are simmering below the waterline of our iceberg, we can get early warnings about how our change is flourishing or floundering. And the kind of data that serves us here is more um, pseudo data and surveys. So think heat maps instead of very specific uh, graphs. These go a long way to giving us a sense for where we are and where we need to be putting our attention in terms of people readiness and change adoption. And so we need to measure what matters for the part of the program we're in.
it's very important not to stop once we deploy and implement. So I wanted to mention that. Um, with that, those are my sort of top three things I wanted to be sure and bring out, perhaps stimulate a little conversation around. But um, that's my, I'll say that's my opening volley. <laughs> <laughs> I would really love to have some uh, discussion and responses. Uh, I'm very curious in your own uh, experiences with change. You know, um, you may or may not have had a chance to think of something before you arrived, but many of you have been working on change in recent history. So I don't know if we have a brave soul who's really ready to ask a question or, or put something out. Well, you've done, uh, thank you very much for your comments, Marisa. And you can take a look in, in the chat. Aaron's put something there while you're reading. And I'll just remind folks, if you're new to the show, uh, you know, it's like a TED Talk with Interaction. We're switching over to the group discussion. And we have a general question or a series of questions that our expert has put out there to get it rolling. But also feel free to ask whatever is on your mind based on what you've heard. Um, and, you know, we've got a pretty intimate group, so we can go from 30 to 60 seconds or so, right, to give everybody a chance. You can raise your hand or you can just speak out. And if you want to pass, that's A-OK. -okay. And keep the chat box active if you've got resources. So, here is Marisa's question for the group. I'm going to actually put a couple of them in uh, the chat box. Marisa, did you uh, do you see Karen's? I do, and uh, I'll. I think maybe I'll jump on that, and then we had a hand raised there. I think it was Vincenzo. Maybe um, I'll come back to him in just one second. Let me okay. speak to Karen's if that's okay. Sure. So um, Karen's question is. Uh, What's our take on the following? Uh, COVID was massive unwanted change exercise. Will this make us better at changing or even more resistant to change because we're more anxious overall? Right. Um, before I jump in, actually, I'd love to hear if any of you have opinions on that. Feel free to speak up. So um, in my experience before COVID, Predominantly, a lot of the change engagement activities that um, I conducted or the firms that I was with, that we conducted, our preference was to have more in-person workshops, um, interactive sessions. A lot of them used to be cafe sessions where we hosted informal um, <clears throat> get-togethers, you know, with just uh, donuts for breakfast or kolaches or um, something like that, just to get the stakeholder group familiar with either the design or our timeline or a high level process that had changed. Um, I do I do see that during COVID and even now after um, a lot of these sessions, the preference definitely is for them to be online or remote. Um, and this is taking into consideration the locations where people are uh, people are, but um, despite that, with the organizations moving to a hybrid model, um, I think uh, hosting a lot of in-person workshops, um, I've personally felt they've, they were very beneficial versus online where um, we need to make sure that everyone is interacting every four to five minutes just to keep their attention on 
Interesting. Feedback, Marisa? You know, I wondered if people were picking up on, you know, when I was talking about resistance to change and that this isolation is processed as pain, if there mm -hmm. was recognition of the connection to the pandemic and our isolation. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's a, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with the term, but there is a, a very well-known term. It's used a lot. It's called change fatigue. Yep. And um, in fact, we need to be mindful of what everyone is coping with. And that's one of the things that we do when we design a, and assess our change program is what other things are going on. How much can people actually take? It doesn't necessarily mean that we don't proceed. It may mean that we make the program into smaller chunks so that um, we can, so that our people can absorb the change in a very constructive way. Comments? Yeah, so uh, we see the Kartik comes in, he says, hey, culture and change go hand in hand. Hence, isn't it better to focus on building resilient culture versus change management? Yes, change management is in fact, um, that's why the, the uh, particular uh, definition that I shared mm -hmm. was um, to distinguish that this is a broader effort and can be highly strategic operating at many levels. And so when, when we're working on a cultural change like an energy transition, if I may, uh, which I'm very you know, uh, mindful of, um, we're not gonna solve that with one change program. Okay, so this, there's going to be a number of strategies that interconnect and there will be multiple layers of, of change strategies that interconnect. These will be very, these will affect our change in culture in terms of how we use energy. And so uh, I, I agree very strongly with the point that at the core of this is a cultural and behavior change. And so behavior change is, is at the key for uh, durable adoption. Got it. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jenna. Going old school since I couldn't couldn't use the hand raise hand icon. Um, hey, Marisa, it's nice to see you. It's wonderful to see you, Jenna. Um, I work with uh, a woman who has a a company called PMO Strategies, and she isn't so much isn't just focused on PMO, but this question of but but having impact regardless of what it is you're trying to do. And one of the things that she says quite often is that um, we people change all the time. Like we, we get married, we have kids, we get new jobs, we leave old jobs, so on and so forth. And it's not so much that people resist change, it's that they resist change being done to them. So I think the, the process of, of instituting changes in a, com in a company or any, anywhere really needs to be done in collaboration with people so that we're, we're bringing them along on the journey instead of thinking everything through and then saying, here you go, here's this nicely wrapped gift of change, um, have, have fun sort of thing. Lynn? 
you yeah, know? no, I'm 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 laughing about the nicely wrapped gift of change. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's one of the principles of of building an inclusive organization is figuring out who's going to be um, impacted by change, who is going to um, who's got valuable input for that change. And if you can bring them along with you, it, it, everything goes a lot smoother. Not gonna, you're not going to please everybody all the time, but at least if you ask and listen to their perspectives, um, even after the change has been implemented, uh, to your point of in terms of adoption, um, it, it makes a big impact, I think. Uh, I did have a, a thought on the COVID situation, too. I wanted to circle back to that. Um, I did see that many organizations were forced to change very quickly, and many were surprised that that they managed to do that okay. Uh, and so that, that does give me some hope that um, you know, change necessary change can be managed and and can can lead to some positive outcomes. Um, but what I will say to your point on isolation and pain, and you know how much people are dealing with right now. It does seem like everybody's mental health and mental concerns are a little bit closer to the surface than ever before. Um, I have had more comments about mental health in the last three years than probably all 50 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't see that getting any better right now, right? Um, I, I continue to see people having challenges um, on a lot of different levels and, and having difficulty dealing with some of those challenges. So. And anything that they can control, anything that they have ownership of, um, is feels like a safe place. And and changes being done to them elicit a very negative response. Yeah. Hey, Antonio, uh, you're a people and culture expert. What what are your thoughts around this? Thank you, John. I mean, um, first of all, Marisa, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and uh, notion around. Uh, change resistance and overall change uh, management experience. Um, I'm actually a researcher of, uh, oh, uh, can you hear me all good? Yeah. All good. Okay. Uh, I was saying, um, I'm, I'm also a researcher of organizational uh, change, uh, more specifically, you know, change leadership perspectives. So to a certain degree, I've uh, dedicated quite a lot of time towards understanding this whole notion of uh, change resistance. And um, as a matter of fact, Karen and I are working on uh, some of these projects that are oriented towards uh, making the workplace more human, you know, trying to address some of these uh, issues that people experience, uh, specifically noting that change resistance is quite uh, quite an emotionally intensive experience. And from our research uh, and some of the findings that we've got from, from working with practitioners, uh, we've learned that a change leader actually serves the purpose of being um, uh, of, of, you know, of, um, of an attachment object or an attachment uh, um, person who represents some form of anxiety alleviation, similar to the way, for example, coaches and athletes behave or teachers and students. Uh, so there's a lot of these change um, related knowledge transfer uh, involved in some of these processes. Uh, so, you know, I, I was just curious about, Marisa, uh, some of your experience towards this. Um, you, you primarily focused in your presentation on, on the frameworks, on, on operational details. Uh, I'm just curious about your experience with these software elements, with some of these cultural stuff. Uh, you know, is there anything you, you could share with us from your uh, rich experience in research? Thank you. Um, I, I'll offer two or three points. Thank you for that question. Um, first of all, when I 
talked about getting the change team on the same page. It really helps for the change team to understand what the stakeholders are, are going to be experiencing so they'll know what they're going to experience and how they handle that. We expect people to know how to handle this and they do not. So for example, my remark that people will respond negatively or with you know, anxiousness, I won't belabor, you know what I mean. My response is to hear them. I don't take it personally. Our leaders have to, that is why there's so much talk about communication, but very little about the specifics. And communication takes so much time. The point is that this time is necessary because our stakeholders have to move through something that we've already moved through. So to your point, our leaders need to understand how urgent their role is as setting a, a role, setting a model for other people giving people a chance to speak up and be heard. And this point that has been said about something we call co-creation. I personally will make this remark, it's kind of flippant, but you know, as, as people who do change, I think it really is incumbent upon us if we're asking all these people to do these massive changes, we really ought to be able to flex <laughs> sometimes in our own approaches, right? And I think that's a lesson we can all take on board. And that gives us much greater credibility with our, our constituents. Um, the last thing I'll say is that um, to, to the points that have been made, it's about each individual's what's in it for me. We can't force people to change. And so our frontline individuals have different priorities. We need to speak to them in this in the language they understand and that matters to them. We can't, too often leaders assume that these uh, people who they, that they need to bring through this change understand what they're supposed to do. And digital transformation, it's classic. We're gonna have all these efficiencies and they don't say, and so you will be doing X. So that leaves a big gap for me to say, and so I will be looking for a new job. Right, so that's where all this goes is we leave all this out, what's in it for me. So let's get very much. the floor. And uh, Tiffany, could you share uh, your question and tell everybody where you're coming from? Sure, um, hi, I'm Tiffany Watson. Uh, I'm mostly in the energy sector. So I've been in like really small companies um, like where it's like less than hundred people all the way up to really large corporations. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, even, even if it's a small or a large, is uh, mergers. And uh, you have a culture where you have pre-merger people and then you also have post-merger people. Mm -hmm. And uh, can it can be anybody uh, or, or yourself, uh, Maurice. Um, what are your experiences with dealing with uh, post-merger? Uh, companies and uh, what would you suggest? Because usually it's you're kind of like merging, merging on paper, but you're not really merging, merging. <laughs> so how do you you get to that point? And I know you kind of never will get perfect, but how do you even start that ball rolling? I have experience in this area, and I also am confident there are other people on this 
call who do too. So I'm going to give some folks a chance to chime in for you, Tiffany. And I must say, thank you for that question. It's awesome. Anybody just want to chime in on that one? Well, I mean, I can share uh, some of the experiences that I've had. Um, these were uh, some of the projects which involved uh, mergers of um, uh, larger companies, um, which were, you know, formally could not be called acquisitions. They were more backed as mergers. Um, and in fact, the big issue was uh, the question of identity. So something that, for example, a lot of the standard uh, methodologies doesn't, doesn't necessarily address, if that makes sense to you. So what, what I've um, learned to appreciate and understand is uh, the common interest in uh, reshaping the culture, uh, reshaping the whole system of values. Because now there's all these individuals who have to work together, who were maybe competitors uh, up to recently, or maybe you know don't see things uh, equally in terms of strategy and where the organization is going to go. So there's a lot of effort in uh, um, put into the creation of this strategic narrative that's going to drive this new identity that people will be embracing and then moving forward. Yeah, thanks for that, Antonio. So uh, we've got Vicenzo has a, a, his hand up on this one as well, perhaps. Sure, Vinny, go ahead. Yes, hi. Hello, everybody. Um, I guess this goes back to the question of maybe what kind of tools could be used uh, specifically maybe for mergers that occur where there's um, some you know, ambiguity uh, as far as you know, getting the groups to mesh. Um, I think a really interesting tool that you can utilize is a hierarchical diagram that depicts all the resources and the processes, right? Uh, aligned with the values of the overall um, aggregate company now. And then when you're looking at that diagram, look at where all of the handoffs occur relative to the people or the resources, because that really helps uh, identify um, the integration between the merger and, and why it occurred. Uh, and, this, and that simple diagram can help uh, you know, improve the buy-in from the teams, right? Um, along with eliminating the resistance coming from uh, the concept of, uh, you know, doing nothing because it's cheapest, right? Uh, in a sense. So uh, that, this is just something I want to share with the group. I, th I think it's something that's super effective, especially when you're talking about where the handoffs occur. I like that. Thanks, Vanny. Yeah. Anybody else have a comment to make? Uh, in my experience, I, I think you you just can't underestimate the importance of the culture. Um, when I've been through companies that, that merged before, it was the company, the culture of the companies as they were, that was the biggest driver of, of how successful that, that merger and therefore all the ensuing change was. If you're coming from a, a culture that is very hands, hands off and there's a lot of um, autonomy and that sort of thing, and you're, and you're merging with a, co a company where the culture is very authoritative or authoritarian or, you know, trying to put the people in those two companies together without a really um, vigorous change management process um, where you're bringing them along with you is almost impossible. I mean, you, it can, it's done, but it's very negative experience for pretty much everyone involved. So, so what kind of tools and ideas have been working for you to mitigate the risks? We heard from Vinny. We've heard some other things. Um, uh, we've got some other folks. Uh, we've got Allison, who's an asset manager for an oil and gas firm. We've got uh, 
David, who's uh, Equinor, sorry, Sarah, who's with Equinor, she runs uh, the country management team. Uh, David, your general manager of uh, the, uh, public media, uh, WFSU and um, Tallahassee. Anybody there want to share any of their experiences? Allison, go ahead, please. Yeah, I can I can speak uh, a little of that. Uh, you know, we had a merger several years back. Uh, I was living in Norway, and it was Norse Kidro merging with Statoil. And I think what Antonio said earlier about uh, um, identity was quite important. Uh, and, and to the last comment that Jana made about culture, this is where you had two companies with very similar cultures in terms of both being very Norwegian companies. Um, but we didn't actually stop referring to people by... I'm from I'm X Hydro or I'm X Stat Oil. Uh, really, until we changed our name to Equinor, you know, it, it really took. You know, we became Statoil Hydro and then we became Stat Oil, and then it really wasn't until we became Equinor that you really started to see us lose and shed our previous identities, and that was unfortunately a, a quite a long time. That's brilliant, really brilliant. Thank you for sharing. I remember that too. <laughs> You know, I worked with a, a number of people and you're absolutely right. I never, I never noticed that until you just said it, but um, right. I had contacts with like, I'm, you know, he drove this and, mm -hmm. and then, but yeah, once it became Equinor, maybe because everybody maybe equally didn't like the name. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, while the culture, if you compare it to say an ExxonMobil or to a Chevron, I mean, the cultures between the two companies were very similar the minutiae and the detail, we found the cultures very different. So the cultural aspect, I think even when you are actually very similar, the people involved will find the differences in the culture. Uh, Link, I see you've got your hand. Good to see you, Link. What's on your mind? Yeah. Uh. There we go. I know that you like me to turn on my camera and I've been out and about and listening to the conversation and thinking about all the, the, the different aspects of the conversation. So I kind of like to wrap it all into one, you know, from the COVID conversation and, and it forcing us into a world of digital transformation and change that we that was unprecedented that we never expected and um the rich and powerful got more rich and powerful and came out with innovations that really um really scaled things for businesses and now we're seeing you know with all this change management a, a piece of trust and how we've un previously understood trust over the years with, contained within one system, one government. Now this change management is adopting new forms of artificial intelligence and machine learning and scaling businesses and corporations to be global. And so when we think about change management in different countries where you might have, like I'm working with one company that is stationed in Jerusalem, serves Saudi Arabia, but has offices in the United States and a workforce down in, in South Africa. And so when you think about all the different aspects of how they translate communication and information and share what is happening in the company, that that communication can transmit very quickly now, but it's happening in a way that people are not adopting and trusting these new forms of technology. So it's not just about race and identity and things like that anymore when we think about difference and, and culture. It's actually the culture of different ways of doing things that we know that half the world's population doesn't have access to the internet yet and is just getting that access. So when we think about how quickly things have transformed now with the introduction of ChatGPT alone last month and what that's going to 
to do to the adoption of different forms of AI and how that's going to affect change. I think that we're we need to increase the dialogue about international communication and cultural change and what that looks like um, with speed and, and the rate of which uh, technology is growing. So thank you. That's my two cents. Anybody else want to share? David, what's happening out in the world of media? Uh, thank you, John. Uh, my comments are going to seem pretty pretty pale and and small compared to what I just heard link share with the group but I will share uh, uh, on the on the uh, idea of merger I, I have seen and, and been a part of two failed merger attempts of public broadcasting entities that it was the culture was right we had a great business plan we uh, operationally between myself and my my uh, my fellow general manager who we would be uh, combining our organizations we were on the same page on everything we could not convince our boards of directors though that this was the right thing to do because I think the identity of the larger group uh, becoming the the uh, kind of the driving force of the organization over my smaller group of board of directors. Interestingly enough, I think it was the, the larger group, the, the larger organization that uh, uh, felt that they were not going to be receiving what they expected from the, from, from the merger. So they, they can, uh, even great ideas can, can fall by the wayside if, if your board's not in support of, support of it. Here at WFSU, and I'll make this very quick, uh, we've been uh, successful of the, over the last 12 months uh, partnering with the journalism research uh, organization in St. Petersburg called the Pointer Institute. And the Pointer Institute has been training particularly public media organizations NPR and PBS is what I'm talking about, uh, of, of kind of changing their model of, of how to uh, create content and find audiences that you may not have traditionally found. And through their help, we were able, you know, we, we, we saw the need to have uh, input from uh, people of departments across my organization, uh, not just on the content uh, and news side. So I think that allowed us to look at that this more globally and really uh, have, have affected change uh, within the organization that continues to need to have uh, a lot more uh, support from, from everyone and understanding and appreciation, but it, it's worked fairly well. That is a great story, really a great story. And um, what I hear you saying is really jumping on that co-creation and seeing delivering on the, the value of the extra time and effort it took was mm -hmm. really measurable. Yeah. I love this comment that I received. It says, you know, we're coming to a time where we all have four generations working together in an office. Change is something that we've got to get good at faster real quick right yes. any last comments from anybody uh before we allow marisa to wrap it up we still have time it's it's a topic that we, we're not giving enough time to but hey that's life the good news is we can all connect and follow up well marisa any final words from you from what you've heard today 
Well, um, I'm really, um, I'm really excited by this conversation uh, on, on several fronts. And among the reasons I'm excited is that I see myself joined by people who are working on these heavyweight challenges who are aware, mindful, and care about doing change well. And one of the things that I'm very keen on is that we in the, I'm going to put quotes around, air quotes around the word business, we who are responsible for this challenge, meeting this, the challenge we're working on, we need to own and have capability, acumen, understanding around how to move it forward and not abdicate it to others. Um, very often, as in, for instance, post-merger, these things can be, and I mean, I understand everybody's hands are full, but these can be abdicated to HR. HR has a great role to play. I'm not saying anything bad about HR. What I'm saying is we need to own our our business, if you will, as well. So, and HR needs our partnership. I'll even say it that way. So this transparency that I hear uh, is very heartening. The, um, you know, the other thing is the appreciation about trust. I, I really do, uh, I liked the smiles that I got when I talked about being able to quote unquote, eat our own dog food because we don't want to end up like this guy right here. We'll wind up like the dinosaurs if we can't make all these changes happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Marisa. That'll be the, the final word. And so, folks, I've just turned on the survey. Please uh, let us know how we're doing. And I wanted to also remind you that uh, the post-show notes will be coming out soon. I'll hit your email. Uh, and if you want a today's attendee contact list, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can include that in the survey result. Um, maybe a transcript, maybe the personal introduction to specific people or attendees. Let us know in the survey. We'll send you the membership link so you can get access to exactly what you need because we know authentic connections, expanding networks, never more important to your business. So what's next up on From the Experts? April 11th, we have S&P Global Commodity Insights talking about hydrogen and ammonia markets how to price them, the concepts around pricing them. We'll have Santiago Soria with us. Uh, April 18th, we're glad to have Google on the show. Uh, sustainability and Energy Transition Lead, Trinity Lloyd. She's gonna share how they're applying big data technology to create affordable low carbon power solutions for communities and business. Ecosystems, it's about ecosystems and at scale, it's gonna be interesting. And May 2nd, uh, unfortunately, I can see that Abhijit dropped off, but he'll be joining us. He's CEO and co-founder um, of Sirinor, and they are leading the way to decarbonizing aviation, the aviation industry, and they're going to talk why hydrogen is actually the solution there. So with over 1,900 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FT network is growing quickly thanks to you. Please learn about the packages, becoming a member, and, and register for other shows just like this one on our website at fte.network and invite others you want to network with. This is your network and that's what we do. Well, folks, we're out of time and I want to thanks once again, Marisa, thank you very much for coming and, and for all of you for joining from the experts and being on the FTE show today. Thank you and we look forward to seeing you next time.